We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app 97.1 fm talk podcast this hour of the mark reardon show is sponsored by gamma tree experts your trees deserve the best care call gamma tree experts strong America, for a proud America, I am running for President of the United States of America. Uh, Nikki Haley making it official today. She rolled out the video yesterday. She took, uh, is she an ageist? Nikki Haley is an ageist. Listen to this. America is not past our prime. It's just that our politicians are past theirs. Uh, It's mean to the older candidates, isn't it? And uh, I did like this line. As I set out on this new journey, I will simply say this. May the best woman win. So it might be a pretty crowded field in the end on the Republican side. Doug High is with us, 97.1 FM Talk political insider, former RNC spokesman. How are you, Mr. Doug High? Welcome back. Doing well, thank you. How do you handicap Nikki Haley? She gets in kind of early here. I saw somebody, I was reading some of the coverage here. Let's see, it might have been um, Russ Duhat in the New York Times saying the field is maybe best described as uh, Trump, DeSantis, and then the rest of the field, including Nikki Haley. How do you look at this and how serious should we take this campaign? Well, one, we should take it seriously. She's got a, she's got a strong track record. She's got a strong resume. Um, I think at this point, it's way too early to read too much in or too much out of uh, what may happen. We don't know if DeSantis is going to run or not. We still don't really know how hard Donald Trump is going to campaign. So, look, he, he has his first opponent right now. Trump typically does better when he has an opponent than when he doesn't. And he's trying to start fights with Ron DeSantis, but um, DeSantis smartly isn't taking that bait. So we'll have to see in the coming days, does Donald Trump now take – you know, take action against somebody who, if not, you know, outright saying that he's past his prime and shouldn't be president and all these other things is very implicitly saying that. You know, and I'm curious about what you think about the Trump reaction. He's weighed in, obviously. But let me let me just say about the reaction. You know, he's on True Social. There's no interviews that I've seen with him ripping into DeSantis or Nikki Haley in the past couple of days. And even on Fox even though he responds, they don't give him a lot of attention these days. So even though he's responding and he's criticizing, there's not a lot of the, the general voting public that's hearing that response right now. No, his, his influence in that is diminished. Now, you know, he's still uh, the, the biggest dog in the field. There's no doubt about that. Um, but he doesn't hold, you know, that he doesn't hold everybody's attention in the same way that he did, you know, for five or six years. And, uh, but we're also seeing him hold back on his criticisms. There's no Nikki Haley nickname. 
Uh, thank goodness for that, probably. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, he's he's also said, hey, the more the merrier. OK. And, and it's strategic. I understand why he's saying that. Uh, but if these candidates go a little further in their criticisms of Trump, other than just suggesting, well, it's, it's past due, um, then we ha- we'll see Donald Trump potentially as that counterpuncher that we know he likes to be. And when that happens, one, how do, how do these candidates react? And the other is how do voters react on that? So Trump issued a, a statement, obviously, kind of hitting at her, the real Nikki Haley, saying Hillary Clinton is an inspiration to Nikki Haley. Haley supported Paul Ryan's plan for entitlement reform, threatening Medicare and Social Security. By the way, I supported that as well. (laughs) Uh, Instead of finding a peaceful solution to the Ukraine-Russia war, Haley has supported sending more American fighter planes to the war. He's trying to draw distinctions here, but again, it doesn't really matter if people aren't hearing the distinctions. Well, but that's also a campaign bracketing document, right? That's something his press secretary put out with, you know, a couple of statements that she's made and, and so forth. That's not Donald Trump going on kick your show and unloading on her the way that we know Donald Trump can. And should he decide to do that, will that then dominate the headlines? And how then do they do those candidates respond? It's a very different thing than having uh, your campaign or your spokesperson point out, well, actually, uh, Donald Trump isn't a well, actually kind of candidate. He is blunt force trauma. And if he does that, um, you know, that is I think a much bigger question. So obviously, if you go back to the the field in 2016, one person that comes to mind because the campaign flamed out relatively early and it was a guy that I was familiar with from my days in Wisconsin is Scott Walker. Scott Walker saw the writing on the wall, decided to get out maybe to wait for another day. That didn't really happen. He didn't really get an appointment in the Trump administration or something along those lines to keep his name public. But you said something that was curious to me a few minutes ago, because even though there's a lot of people on board, and I would include myself in this group that love Ron DeSantis, would like to see him run for president, he is untested nationally. You don't know what could come down the line. And there are people who are favorites or early favorites that are loved that don't do very well. So is that you really think there's a chance that he won't run, Doug? Um, look, he's certainly more likely to run than not. And, and the smart thing, so I think the smart, two smartest things that Ron DeSantis is doing right now is one, not getting in early. He has plenty of time. And the other is not taking Trump's bait. Um, and, you know, DeSantis, I think, is actually even more interesting than uh, than he's given credit for. I think he's fascinating. You know, he's a cultural lawyer. But when was the last time you heard Ron DeSantis really talk about abortion? Not very often. Um, so he really picks and chooses his battles very specifically, very methodically, um, in a way that a lot of Republican candidates don't. But yes, we've seen in, in campaigns, um, you know, a lot of the, the real early stars are, are left out um, on the side of the highway. Scott Walker is a good example. President Tim Pawlenty didn't happen. Rudy Giuliani was an early leader. Um, we've seen this happen so often um, that on Republicans and Democrats, that, you know, saying this is who the nominee is going to be uh, a year before we've had a caucus or a primary, you know, is is sure that speculation that we all want to do. People are already predicting who's going to win the Super Bowl next year. But let's <laughs> yeah, let them get to camp first. Right. Let's let's do this a little bit along the lines of the Kentucky Derby, where it's often said and it's true. The best horse doesn't always win or the most popular horse. You could have a surprise. So in a potential crowded field, 
Is there a dark horse name that could emerge as perhaps a surprise? you got guys in here, uh, ladies and gentlemen, of course, but Chris Sununo, who is in New Hampshire, Glenn Youngkin, the Virginia governor, who was swept into 2021, given the Republicans a bit of a different playbook. Um, Christy Noem from South South Dakota. Are there dark horse candidates that could emerge in your opinion? Yeah, you know, Christy Nome is a name I've been talking to folks about for a year. And I remember the first time I mentioned it to somebody who uh, covers congressional and presidential elections for a living. This is what they live and breathe. And when I said Nome, they looked at me like I was insane. It hadn't crossed their mind. I said, keep your eye on her. Watch what she does. Nome is certainly one of them. Uh, Tim Scott now has um, a super PAC that's going to back a potential candidacy for him. Uh, You know, he offers it's interesting because he's from South Carolina as well and was appointed by Nikki Haley. But he has one of the sort of smartest and and most optimistic demeanors of of anybody in the Republican Party would campaign in a very different way than than anyone else. So there are going to be more people who get in. um, And I think what we've seen and DeSantis shows this is you can take your time. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think what he's doing right now is good strategy. Doug High, 97.1 FM Talk, political insider. Uh, what do you think happens on the other side? I haven't spoken with you in a couple of weeks. The New York Times story comes out a week ago Sunday, which basically in print says everything that a lot of us were talking about behind the scenes and have been for a while about Kamala. You have the uh, the interview that Judy Woodruff did with the president last week coming out of the State of the Union. What do you make about the other team right now, Doug High? Uh, look, I, if you have to have a compelling reason to challenge the sitting president of your own party and a very compelling reason. And Democrats don't dislike Joe Biden in the way Republicans do. So what we would say are compelling reasons are not compelling to them. And following that State of the Union speech where he gave it back to the Marjorie Taylor Greens and all of that you know, energized Democrats. It didn't necessarily energize independents, certainly didn't for Republicans. So who is that Democrat who is now going to start organizing? Uh, and good luck with that, by the way, against Biden. It's just not there. Um, now, Biden's 80 years old. He can make a mistake and slip up at any moment. So clearly you are going to have people waiting in case that happens. But if he doesn't have some kind of very big you know, health issue or you know, senior moment, you talked about ageism earlier, senior, senior moment, what Democrat is going to stand up and say, I'm challenging him? It's just hard to see following these elections and a State of the Union speech uh, that Democrats rallied around. And then also an economy where we still have conflicting numbers, but that, especially with inflation, but that unemployment number is something that uh, Biden's going to talk about each and every day um, from now until Election Day. Um, and 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 he should. Yeah, and I and I understand what you're saying about you know removing him from the ticket. But let's say that he decides to run. So where does that leave the vice president? They're not going to be able to just ditch her from the ticket. She would have to have some sort of exit path that would be a soft landing. And I don't think that's even possible at this point. I mean, the the exit path from and you know it's been talked about is Trump going to dump Pence and uh, is Bush going to dump Quail and all of these things. There is no soft landing spot no. in that. Um, and that is is part of the challenge here. And sure, as Biden you know, gets older and next year, you know, this time next year will be 81. Uh, it does focus more attention on Kamala uh, because there's more of an expectation that she might actually become president in a second term um, uh, if Biden's reelected. But 
ditching Harris is a politically very dangerous uh, thing to do for Biden. And and they're they're mindful of that. Let me let me just ask you your reaction of what's been happening the last couple of weeks. You can almost to a certain extent strip politics or bipartisan politics or I guess partisan politics out of some of these scenarios. The um, you know, the China spy balloon, the the other objects, the train derailment, all these things that are happening. There's weird stuff that's happening right now. And I think a lot of people are a little afraid, a little confused. And you're not getting a lot from the White House. And there are Democrats that are pushing back a little bit. Uh, you know, the, the most recent name that I saw on, on the train derailment was Omar um, oh, wow. going after going after Secretary Pete pretty hard. Uh, look, the, the American voters expect to hear from the president on, on things like this. And, um, you know, it, it, it's surprising to me that we haven't heard Biden, um, you know, specifically on the balloons. You can be as tough on China as you want to be. And you will be politically rewarded for that, Republican or Democrat. So this should be a, a safe place for Biden to go. And if we don't have all the answers, it's actually OK to say we don't have all the answers. Now, you can't say that all day, every day, because then you never have answers. But if you're saying, look, there's still a lot of information we're trying to glean from this. We still have to recover the one thing from the, the Arctic Ocean. People understand that's sort of hard to do. Um, you can do that, but we need to see the president front and center on these, and they should view these as opportunities for him. Hey, Doug, we've talked a lot about, in over the course of history, you've had strange bedfellows, right? L- listen to this latest pairing. Dick Durbin on something that Senator Hawley here in Missouri is trying to do when it comes to limiting kids on social media. Senator Hawley is introducing legislation that would ban kids under the age of 16 from using social media. Is that something that you would support? Uh, I want to talk to him about it. I think his sentiments as a parent and as a senator are right, protecting our children. And that came out of that hearing yesterday on both sides of the table. So we're going to pursue this. Wow, that doesn't happen very often, does it? No, it, it, it really doesn't on, you know, especially given, you know, Hawley with that fist in the air is viewed basically through that lens by Democrats and only through that lens. And sure, when you're in the Senate or you're in the House, there are interpersonal relationships and so forth. But that image still lingers large for for Democrats there. You know, it gets into an issue that is a very difficult one for a lot of reasons. Uh, and, it, and it's this is a long term uh, conversation that I think we'll be having, um, not not a short term. Doug, hi, always great to have you on. Am I maybe going to see you going to slip into Kansas City to see the E Street Band this weekend? I'm, I was I, detecting from your emails that maybe that was a possibility. It, it's not, but I am monitoring prices very uh, very closely. I don't have tickets yet, and DC is still DC and New York are still the two most expensive. But prices are dropping, and you know he announced. Two shows in the D.C. area in stadiums in Baltimore and then one in D.C., both in the baseball parks. I think another 100,000 tickets in, in my market means that the prices for the concerts in, in March and April will go down. Yeah. And I see they're going down in Kansas City. Yeah, they are. One thing, I'm, I'm you know, because I have a lot of friends in East Street Nation, one thing that people are doing, you could do this for probably other acts as well where you have high prices. The, the market does sort of correct itself to a certain extent as you get closer to the show. You could, if you are a gambling man, kind of, you know, go in day of the show and probably not spend a whole lot of money. Doug, I'll keep you posted on the show in Kansas City. We'll talk soon. I appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. Take care. Chip Carey, coming up next. We'll talk baseball. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. We have an audio cut of the day sponsored by the Good Feed Store coming up here in just a few minutes on 97.1 FM Talk before the hour is up. Right now, Chip Carey is with me. He was named just a couple of weeks ago the new television play-by-play announcer for the Cardinals. A long uh, family history here in St. Louis was his grandfather, and he probably doesn't remember me even, but we went to high school together and graduated. Parkway West, class of 1983, Chip Carey. How are you? Welcome back to uh, St. You Louis. Better, you, yeah, you were a better student than I was. I was a straight C-plus kid, <laughs> and I was lucky to get out of there. But I'm doing great. Thanks for the nice welcome, Mark. The, the one thing I remember is that I think we had a typing class together, and I remember that Sandy Berenson was in that class. Sandy was the yeah. daughter of Red Berenson, who was the blues coach at the time. And uh, I remember, you know, I, I started this little radio station on Clayton Road at KYMC, this 10-watt radio station. I, of course, knew your family history. I don't think I knew at the time that you were headed toward broadcasting, but that was probably just a dumb assumption on my part. No, I mean, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. Like I said, I wasn't the best of students, and my home life wasn't the best as well uh, in high school. But when I went to Georgia and you know, kind of got my act together and met some cool people and, and sort of grew up and grew comfortable in my own skin, uh, I kind of figured out that broadcasting was something I really wanted to do because I got to spend time with my dad. My dad and mom were divorced. I didn't spend a whole lot of time with him through my high school years. But watching him do his thing and seeing how fun that was and knowing that I was not going to be Ozzie Smith or Ted Simmons or Tom Bernanski, I figured, well, if I can talk about baseball and do it relatively intelligently, maybe that's a cool way to stick around the game. And luckily, for me, uh, that's the way things have worked out. Yeah, you. when did you take the Cubs gig? When, what year was that? Uh, Harry died on Valentine's Day in 98. God, it's hard to believe that was 25 oh, wow. years ago. Um, he and I were supposed to work together that year. The plan was for me to do all the road games, or most of the road games. He would travel to New York, or he'd come to St. Louis occasionally. And then I would do the middle three innings at Wrigley Field and pre- and post-game on WGN. And, uh, again, we were supposed to work together. Uh, it would have really helped uh, solidify the family bonds that I didn't know much about. Again, he's a, an orphan that grew up in St. Louis on, on, La, on, uh, excuse me, on LaSalle Street behind Union Station. Uh, he, you know, he saw every bat of Stan Musial's career, saw Jackie Robinson in his first you know, big league week, rode the trains and all of that kind of stuff. I would have loved to have known about that and the family stuff, too. 
Uh, and that's what was so tragic about the opportunity that, that, that slipped through our fingers. He passed away before that dream for him and me became a reality, unfortunately. So you're down in Atlanta, some strong ties there, obviously, with uh, with your father, Skip, as well. And then when this comes open, and look, Dan's a friend. I know Danny was a friend, is a friend of yours as well. We, we've talked about this quite a bit in the past few months, and especially yesterday in the aftermath of uh, Dan releasing his statement. But when names are being tossed around, I guess my assumption was, I'm, I'm really good at bad assumptions, Chip, is that Chip Carey in a big market like Atlanta. The Braves are a great team. Why would you want to come back here to St. Louis? It's home. Uh, it's really as simple as that. I love the culture there. I loved coming there as a visiting broadcaster. Uh, I felt very comfortable there, even as a Cub. <laughs> you know, because uh, <laughs> right. I'd walk through and I'd see the pictures of Harry and Jack Buck and Joe Garagiola and Jay Randolph and Bob Starr. Uh, you know, those were the voices of my childhood. And I just, it always felt like it was kind of a second home to me. Uh, you're right. Dan's a friend. That's the bittersweet part of this for me. Uh, I'm overjoyed at the opportunity that I have at this stage of my career to come back and do something I love in a place that's always been very special to me. But I'm awfully sad because a dear friend of mine's hurting and is going through an awful time right now. Um, but you know, that's, that's the nature of our game and that's the nature of our business. Uh, somebody's got to do the games. And when the Cardinals call, you have to listen. You're right. Atlanta's a big market. I was there for 20 years. I made it very clear to them that I would have loved to have stayed there for the rest of my career. Uh, but circumstances weren't going to allow that. And it just got harder and harder to keep trying to stay. So, Again, I was fortunate enough that the Cardinals called, and as I said, when a gold standard place like that with the tradition and legacy and familial ties that I have, uh, you'd be stupid not to listen. Yeah. I'm glad I did, and here we are. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, congratulations. We're looking forward to hearing you on the broadcast. Do you know at this point, because Dan had you know Jimmy Edmonds and, and Brad kind of you know shuffling through a variety of partners, are you going to have the same situation, or do you know yet? I think Brad's going to do the bulk of the games, and I know Jim's going to do some. What that number is, I don't know. Either way, I'm really excited to work with both of them. I had a great time in Atlanta with Jeff Francoeur in, in the last several years, and I, I've, I've watched Brad's work, and I've spent a lot of time with him. He reminds me a lot of Jeff, which means uh, it's going to be like hanging around with two 13-year-old post-pubescent boys, which is great. Uh, <laughs> Jim, right, and with Jim, with his expertise in Cardinals Hall of Fame and, and the great stuff that he did, I'm really looking forward to, to learning from him and his insights. You know, in Atlanta, we... We always had John Smoltz and Tom Glavin. They're pitchers. Jim is an outfielder. It's a different perspective, and I'm looking forward to learning from him and hopefully uh, uh, being part of a, a really, really fun and exciting broadcast team for a really fun and exciting baseball team to cover. Well, let's talk baseball, Chip Carey, because yeah. obviously we're coming off a couple of seasons, the um, the amazing September that we had the previous season, and then a pretty nice run this past year. Uh, we were surprised, obviously, when Mike Schilt got shuffled out, and we had Ali Marmol in a great first season. There's a ton of young talent in this team. Look, I've I, we have, I say collectively, Cardinals fans have watched Atlanta from afar and been very jealous of the way that that team has developed. And I think we can use the Braves as an example. This has been talked about, Chip, in the last couple of days with Mo getting the extension. I, I love Mo. I'm never, not a Mo hater. You know, everybody talks about some of the deals that went south. He got all these great deals with Arenado and Goldschmidt. But the fact of the matter is the Cardinals haven't pushed deep into the playoffs and there's frustration. Are the... Um, are the players in place? We don't know what the spring's going to hold, but what do you think about the nucleus of the team right now and, and the potential of the postseason moving forward? 
Well, the schedule will determine whether or not uh, they're good enough to get there. Look, the team won 93 games last year. The Pirates are rebuilding still. The Reds are rebuilding. The Cubs have improved. The Brewers have all that really good pitching, but still some question marks about their offense. I think the Cardinals have the best roster, at least on paper, at the start of the year, but you don't play it on paper. The old cliche really holds true. Um, the, The bottom line is, you know, getting to the playoffs is really hard. And advancing in the playoffs is really hard. And the the analogy I've used all the time, an example of that is the Phillies last year. And it's a hockey analogy. Uh, Blues fans will understand this. You get a good defense and a hot goalie, you can really steamroll your way through the playoffs, even if your roster on paper, again, isn't necessarily thought of as highly as the teams that you're beating. And I think that's the challenge. Look, you got to get in first, and then it really is a crapshoot. Where you play, who you play, who's hot, who's not, who's hurt. All of those things factor in. What I love about the Cardinals organization and where the parallels are very similar to the Braves is this. Every year, the fan base and the front office and the players and the manager, heck, even the broadcasters, are going to evaluate the season on whether or not they won the division, got into the playoffs, and, as you said, get deep into the playoffs. That's the expectation. That's the way it should be. That's the way the Yankees operate. A good year is when you win the World Series. A bad year is when you don't. I'm not saying that it's that black and white now for St. Louis. I don't know the culture nearly as well as you do, but uh, this is a good team. It's full of good young players who are going to get a ton of opportunities this spring because so many guys will be away with the WBC. And as we know, the 26-man roster on opening day doesn't mean a whole lot because two days later it's going to change. And when someone goes down or goes through a slump, these at-bats that these kids are going to get in spring training will be immensely valuable for the eyeball test for everybody And only time will tell if they're going to be ready. But you know when they are, they're going to get a chance with the Cardinals, and that's exciting. So there's been a lot of discussion even in the last 48 hours, I would say, about some of the rules. The league has decided to keep the runner on second base in extra innings, not for the postseason. I I guess I'm a bit of a purist, but I can certainly see, and I'm fine with the DH. I think a lot of fans are. Some of this other stuff, to me, gets a little gimmicky. I've seen the size of the bases. It's, It's a little more stark than I expected. I understand that one in particular. Your thoughts moving forward with some of the rule changes it's going to change the game isn't it the pace of the game and that's the whole point yeah we're trying to speed up the pace of the game it's not time of game it's pace of game and they're trying to put together a product which if you look at the surveys fans want to see stolen base attempts they want to see doubles they want to see triples in the three outcome game you don't see that as much and maybe these things will make that happen only time is going to tell uh the ghost runner i like it for this reason there are option rules you can't just send a guy down more than five or six times in a season. So if you have a couple of 15-inning games when a guy pitches four innings in long relief, you send him out for 10 days. Well, if he's out of options, you can't do that. Um, Those were part of the post-COVID rules. And look, nobody likes 16-inning games, and nobody likes the ripple effect it has on your bullpen. It's just the the nature of the game now. Uh, I'm not a super fan of banning the shift. I'd like to see the players actually manipulate the bat and hit the ball the other way when that opportunity is presented them. But look, I can't hit in the major leagues, and it's hard, but it's supposed to be. It's the big leagues. Bigger bases, if it leads to more stolen bases, great. I'm all for it. Uh, and the pitch clock, I think it's going to be an adjustment for all of us, and that's what I think is exciting about the first game that we have on Valley Midwest, which is on the 25th. Those rules are going to be in place from the very first pitch. And for guys that have been doing it as long as I have, for the players themselves, it's going to be an adjustment, and we're going to have an opportunity to learn as we go. And as my dad famously said in Atlanta many years ago, remember, it's spring training for the announcers too. Yeah, well, that's true. So, But, Chip, don't you think, because I was just messing around, not that this was official, but just at some of the games last year, I would just start my stopwatch on my iPhone just to see you know, what was happening between pitches. And there were some pitchers that were well under the time, and then there were others that were not. But I think, um, and I think pitchers might agree with this, maybe the bigger adjustment is to some of these batters and their routines as they go up to the box. That's going to have to change, yeah. isn't it? 
Yeah, well, and, well, and there appears, to, like you said of yourself, if, if the rule book was applied uh, to the letter, we wouldn't have to do this stuff, right? You're supposed to keep right. it put in the box. You're supposed to have 20 seconds. All that stuff's already in the book, but now it becomes a lot more official, and it is going to be in play, and we're going to have arguments and guys complaining and moaning and groaning. But at the end of the day, if you look at the minor league data, there was a lot of problems at the start of the year. By the second month, those problems diminished. And by the third month, it was almost as routine and rote as, as having the DH in the National League, with, of which I was not a big fan. But watching some of the hitters hit, I think we should have had the DH in the National League 30 years ago. Yeah, you know what? You might make a case for that. And if, the yeah. rules don't work, and if the rules don't work, guess what? They can always change them back. Uh, that's the great nature of our sport. Uh, it's been so traditional for so long that people are loath to change. They don't like it. They like the the way the game was played 120 years ago. Well, that's fine and dandy. But if that were true, the Cardinals would be the only team west of the Mississippi. We wouldn't, we'd still be playing in wool, and we wouldn't have integrated baseball, and we wouldn't have uh, games under the lights or on TV. And since I have four kids who like to eat, I like games on TV. You know, you mentioned the lights. I always tell people this story. Before I moved here when I was a, a freshman in high school, and I— <laughs> You know, I lived in the suburb in Chicago until then, until 1979. When I went to games at Wrigley Field in the 1970s, they didn't even open up the upper deck for really? the day games. On the wow. weekend games, I think they did, Sue, but they didn't have to because they had the WGN TV deal and it was unnecessary. So the light, you know, you remember that it, I was a fan chip of the Dodgers before I came here and the Cardinals locked me in in 82. My dad took me out of school to go see a game because, you know, if the Dodgers were coming on a weekday, you couldn't see them at night, clearly, if it was during school time. So things have changed quite a bit in the game of baseball over the years, haven't they? No doubt about it. And look, we have to adapt uh, or we're going to die. And uh, nobody complains if the NBA changes its rules or the NFL changes its uh, you know holding rules. I don't want to break up uh, bring up any awful memories of the Super Bowl finish, <laughs> but that's that's perceived by so many as progressive and wow, what a great idea! And they're adapting with the times. For some reason, baseball is held to a different standard. There's an unfair filter there that that has existed for a long time, and we can all argue about how baseball got to this position and whether we're letting the uh, you know, the, the fox in the hen house. I mean, Theo Epstein, great respect, like him a lot, but he's one of the guys that helped create this three-outcome mess, and now he's on the committee that's trying to fix it. I hope he does. I hope he understands what the fans want, and that baseball is trying to give that to the paying customers. And uh, as we said, it's a big experiment. Yeah. It's going to change the way the game's consumed and watched. And uh, as I said, at my age, I'm all for change. I'm all for trying new things, and we'll see what happens yeah, starting up be. February 25th. Absolutely. Are you down there in Jupiter yet or not? Not yet. I go down tomorrow. I'm going to go introduce myself to as many people as I can, and then I uh, come back home. I live in St. Augustine, Florida, and uh, then my uh, my my uh, season starts on the 24th and uh, 24th and 20. Excuse me, 24th, 25th, and 26th, and uh, off we go with Brad and Jim. So I can't wait to get started. It's our 40th high school reunion coming up this year. Holy Chip. cow. I don't really want to acknowledge that, but good Lord, yeah. right? My yeah. goodness. I'm 40 for 40. I haven't been to one of them. <laughs> I haven't either. I might get I might get sucked in this year. We'll have to see what happens. Hey, did I see you have a son that's in this business now too? Identical twins. I have twin sons that are in the business. My sons, Christopher and Stefan, are uh, broadcasters for the Amarillo Sod Poodles. They're the Arizona Diamondbacks double-A affiliate. That's awesome. They're really, really good. Wait, wait, wait. Did you say the Sod Poodles? Yeah. That's awesome. Do you know what a Sod Poodle is? No. Sod Poodle is? It's it's an actual term. Uh, It was a term that the... uh, the folks who were moving and migrating west on the prairies of Texas called prairie dogs. Oh, so, wow. that makes sense. That does yeah, make sense. Yeah. So they're prairie dogs. Uh, 
But my sons are great. They're really talented kids. Uh, you know, all credit to them as being wonderful people goes to their mom because, uh, you know, I'm gone chasing uh, guys hitting yeah. ground balls to second in Pittsburgh. Uh, but they're really, really talented kids, and uh, their time will come too. And we're really hopeful that there'll be a fourth generation of, of carries in the business. And if we can all make it together until 2045, it'll be 100 years for our family. Look at that. I think you'll make it. I do. Well, listen, thank you so much for carving out some time here this afternoon, Chip Carey. I really appreciate it. And welcome back. I know we're very excited about getting baseball started again. Look forward to seeing you again. And uh, thanks for having me on. And thanks for the warm welcome. I really appreciate it. Take care, Chip. Congratulations. That was awesome. 541. That's Chip Carey, Love the new him. announcer for the St. Louis Cardinals. And just kind of gets you, especially on a day like yes. this, Sue, it gets you thinking about really does. watching some baseball. And it's just around the corner. Audio cut of the day coming up here, sponsored by the Good Feet Store on 97.1 FM Talk. I'm going to talk probably a little bit more about this tomorrow with Jazz Shaw from Hot Air. He wrote about it on hotair.com. We've had a couple of these surveys. And one of the things that's interesting about this one is the AP, the Associated Press, is reporting on the survey, which is about the media. So here's what it says. New York, AP, half of Americans. This is uh, Jazz put a positive spin on this, and I'll tell you what it is in a second. But half of Americans in a recent survey indicated they believe national news organizations intend to mislead, misinform, or persuade the public to adopt a particular point of view through their reporting. You know why half of the people think that? It should be more. I actually think it's, it's low. Eight, 90% of the people should know that because that's exactly what they do. This was a survey released by Gallup and the Knight Foundation. And the AP story says the survey goes beyond others that have shown a low level of trust in the media to the startling point where many believe there is an intent to deceive. And the reason that people think there's an intent to deceive is because there is an intent to deceive. Pretty much. And we chronicle it Every day on this show, it's unbelievable. And the Gallup person quoted here, this was striking for us. The findings show a depth of distrust and bad feeling that go beyond the foundations and processes of journalism. If if they're surprised, by the way, at Gallup or the Associated Press that this is happening when some of us have been talking about this issue and how despicable and disgusting the mainstream legacy media has been. And we'd offered countless examples from Covington Catholic to Brett Kavanaugh to this whistleblower report on Wash U to the, you know, the shooting in Kenosha. So there, there's all kinds of examples. Now, I mentioned and we'll talk about this with um, maybe with Jazz Shaw tomorrow. When he wrote about it, he said, wait a second here, because he said, in one regard, we'll see if this is just a spin. In one regard, this survey is actually good news for the country. It shows that an increasing number of people are fully aware that the press feeds them a consistent serving of garbage intended to promote the progressive agenda, no matter how crazy the stories sound. And it justifies the skepticism that so many people feel about CNN, MSNBC, The Washington Post, The New York Times, and all the rest. And by the way, and I agree with him on this, it's sort of explains, doesn't it, why Fox dominates the cable news ratings? I've never really quite understood why, and we're going to see this kind of work itself out maybe, why CNN doesn't get that their progressive BS is leading to nothing in the ratings. Now, when Trump was there, it was good because people like to tune in and see the train wreck right now. I've Don, wondered have about you seen this the, too. the ratings for Don Lemon show in the no. morning? They move, they're terrible. They're at some all-time lows for many of their shows. Now, in fairness, on these news, you know, the network news uh, 
cable stations, those things do ebb and flow because of supply and demand, just like anything else. Well, when you have fair. Trump in there, things tend to spike. Um, I think MSNBC is even down right now because Trump helped them, right? They helped mm. Colbert. They helped the opposite end of the spectrum. But I do think it's interesting that that's a sad number. It really is. And it's indicative of where journalism is in this country. It does not exist in the form that it used to. The bias, the... Um, the agenda-driven nature of most of these reporters is really kind of disgusting. And it's what we get. Let's do this here. Ready. Now, the audio cut of the day. Audio Cut of the Day is sponsored by my friends at the Good Feet Store, where it's all about comfort, energy, performance, and pain relief. I have a couple today, and let's start with the CBS News report. And this really is amazing when you think back to where we've um, been and where we've Come in the uh, balloon situation. It was just about two weeks ago, two weeks Friday, when this thing was flying across the country. And we saw it here in St. Louis, certainly in West St. Louis County. We were getting calls and all kinds of tweets. Congresswoman Wagner checked in with me that afternoon. Lots of questions. Then you have the objects that were shot down this week, even though they missed the one over Lake Huron. And now you have this CBS report, which really raises even more questions. CBS News has learned U.S. intelligence had actually been tracking the balloon when it took off from Hainan Island off of the South China coast last month. At that point, it then started drifting towards Guam and Hawaii before making a northward turn up to Alaska. Officials say it's possible the balloon was blown off its initial course by weather, but they insist the Chinese still had control of it as it came south over the lower 48 states. As for the three objects shot down this weekend by these U.S. fighter jets, the strongest theory now from the intelligence community is that the objects are benign. There's still no word on the condition of the wreckage. And in the case of the objects shot down over Lake Huron, we now know two missiles were fired and the first missed, but landed in the water. Yeah, I mentioned that. So the U.S. Um, is still not really, I, I don't know if we're getting the true answers, but listen to this. So this is the Washington Post account of this, too. U.S. monitors watched as the balloon settled into a flight path that would appear to have taken it over the U.S. territory of Guam. But somewhere along that easterly route, the craft took an unexpected northern turn, according to several U.S. officials who said that analysts are now examining the possibility that China didn't intend to penetrate the American heartland with its airborne surveillance device. The balloon floated over Alaska's Aleutian Islands, thousands away from Guam, then drifted over Canada, where it encountered strong winds, and then we know what happened. It ended up here over Missouri eventually. So basically what you hear here is that the Chinese government might be as incompetent as our government. I still think we have lots of questions when it comes to this. One other story for audio cut of the day, and this is a sad one, and I don't like to give attention here to the uh, to the mass killers in any way, shape, or form. But you had this um, 19-year-old kid who was sentenced to life in prison. He killed 10 people in the mass shooting at that grocery store in a predominantly black area of Buffalo last May. He, uh, he pleaded guilty. He said today, I'm sorry for all the pain I forced the victims and families to suffer through. I'm not going to play the audio of him because uh, even though he apologized, he can rot in hell as far as I'm concerned. And there was a guy that rushed at him during the court hearing today, which was pretty interesting because there was a uh, what they call a victim impact statement that was being made by Barbara Maps, the sister of one of the victims, Catherine Massey. And then this happened. Take people out. Don't do it. 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 
then it got a little crazy there in the courtroom. One of the uh, family members of a victim said, I pray to God that they do not kill you. You need to be known worldwide. I forgive you, but I forgive you not for your sake, but for mine and for this black community. There you go. Unfortunately, a sad audio cut of the day, but he'll be in prison, and my guess is he will not survive very long. We'll have to see. Audio cut of the day, sponsored by the Good Feet Store. Have a great Wednesday evening. We'll talk tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Get more at 971talk.com. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 